Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great blessing it is to be able to look into your word together this morning. Oh Lord, we thank you that you give us brothers and sisters in Christ, that you do not leave us alone, and that you speak to us. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to listen to your word today. May the full weight of it fall upon us as your Holy Spirit convicts our hearts. Oh Lord, we pray that we'd grow in grace this morning as we hear about your grace. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, we have broken from our usual series of going through the book of Hebrews, and we'll be looking at the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son. And the reason why we've come to this this morning, and I'm sure many of you are aware of it, is because uh, this week we have known that our son has come home, our son has been united with his family, and so it was it seemed good to us to speak about the prodigal son and the teachings of it in the scriptures because this son, which we just heard about as we uh, read together, that Jesus speaks about, he is an illustration of our relationship with God. The prodigal son represents us, represents sinful humans, and the father represents God and his relationship with us. And so from this parable, Jesus teaches us a number of things about our relationship with God, about how we relate to God and how he relates to us. We learn quite a lot about ourselves and about God as we look at this parable together. So I want to give us uh, a number of things that we can learn from this passage together this morning. And so I encourage you to have a Bible open in front of you to page 1035 if you've got one of the Black Church Bibles. As we look at this passage together, we'll be looking at verses 11 through to verse 24, and we'll see a number of things taught to us about our relationship with God. And the first thing that we can learn from this parable is that we have all treated God shamefully. If you're taking notes, I have four main points this morning. And my first is that we learn that we have treated God shamefully. We have treated God shamefully. We see the shameful treatment of this younger son to the father in verse 12. Verse 12 of Luke chapter 15, small number 12. If you're not used to uh, Bibles, the big numbers are the chapters, the little numbers are the verses. Verse 12 says, The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between the sons, between them. This is actually quite a horrible action of the son. We may glide over it and not really understand the ramifications of it, but what is the son saying to his father here? He's saying, I wish you were dead. I wish that you were dead and I could have my inheritance now. I don't want you around anymore. I don't want you running my life. I know what is best for me. And I'd rather you were out of my life and I had all the resources that you have. And so he asks his father for this. And then he takes those resources and uses them for his own pleasure. He doesn't use them for the good of others. He doesn't use them for the good of his father. It's not like he goes out and invests in the share market and helps different companies. He puts them into the Commonwealth Bank shares and gets a good return on them. Now, what does he do with this inheritance that is granted to him by his father? We see in verse 13, it says, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, removed himself as far away from his parents as possible, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And he ends up spending everything that he owns. This is an awful action. 
of the son towards his father. His son, uh, the father has worked so hard over the years, built up many resources, and then his son just goes and blows it all. Yet this is what we have done to God. God is the one who is our father. He is the one who has made us. But when we sin, we are saying, we don't want you on your throne, God. We don't want you calling the shots in our lives. We want to be in charge. Give us your resources, your goodness, the good things that you bless people with, and we know better as to what we should do with them. And what do we do? We go off. We don't go off and glorify God with the good things that he gives us. Instead, we glorify ourselves. We spend the good things that he gives us on our own pleasures, the money, the time, our bodies that he has blessed us with. Many of us have good health. We use them for our own pleasure instead of glorifying God as we should. And we use them up. And eventually, because of our actions against God where we've turfed him from his throne and put ourselves in his place, it catches up with us. And that's the second thing we can learn from this parable this morning. The second thing we learn is that sin always brings you to the pigsty. Sin always brings you to the pigsty. Life catches up with the prodigal son. He begins, he begins to be in need and then he has to take a job looking after pigs. And we see that in verse 14. Verse 14 of Luke chapter 15, it says, After he, that's the prodigal son, had spent everything there was, a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, we generally understand that looking after pigs may not be the best of jobs. I'm sure some people do. Now, there are farmers who look after pigs. My grandfather was a pig farmer, and, uh, and yes, uh, he uh, did quite well uh, in looking after pigs, but generally we understand that pigs are dirty creatures. They smell. Uh, and they can be quite dumb and aggressive at times. Uh, but we understand with this parable that there's a particular element to it that we don't understand, and that this man, he's a Jew. Jesus is telling this parable to Jews, and Jews have a particular aversion to pigs because of the Old Testament law. They weren't supposed to eat pigs, and they weren't supposed to be in contact with them. But this man, he's gotten to such a desperate state that he has hired himself out to a Gentile, to a non-Jew, and the non-Jew has put him in charge of pigs. And he is so desperate, he has so little to himself that he even longs to eat the food that is only fit for pigs. The son here has come to a desperate point. And why is that? Because of his sin, his rejection of his father, and then his squandering of the resources of his father. He has come down to looking after pigs, to a desperate state. And this is what happens to us as well. As I said, this teaches us about our relationship with God. We reject God, we squander his resources, but what ends up happening? Well, the sin that we have committed bites us in the end and brings us to the pigsty. The promise of sin is happiness. But all sin does is bring some short-term pleasures 
For a time, it's pleasurable, but brings long-term pain. Your sin will always have horrible consequences for your life. Maybe in this life, you experience those consequences to a severe degree. Rejection of God can bring despair, bring hunger and sadness into your life. You can lose many things. You can lose relationships with those around you who care for you deeply, just as this son, he lost a very good relationship with his father. We see that in the lives of those around us. It may be in your life. It may be in the lives of those that you've met and known over the years. You can see how sin disrupts those relationships. It brings pain into people's lives. And you can lose not just relationships, you can lose the possessions. You can lose everything in this world. I'm sure we know people who've committed terrible sin and everything has been wiped from them. And they come come out with nothing because of their sin. And of course, there's the horrible consequence, the horrible pigsty that goes on for eternity that is the consequences of sin as well. And that is the punishment that we all face in hell because of our sin. It's a terrible thing to be looking forward to, to be awaiting our lives. Because of our sin against God, we have a pigsty for eternity to look forward to instead of eternal relationship with God because we've broken that relationship in our sin. But we also learn from this parable that it is possible to come to your senses. It's possible to reject God. It's possible to experience the consequences of those that rejection. But it's also possible to come to your senses. And we see that with the son in verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, or more literally in the Greek, it's when he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. The marvellous hope that is given to mankind in this parable, that you can come to your senses about your sin, about your actions against God, and the consequences that have come to you, you suddenly see sin in all its reality and the way that it brings you down to a pigsty. And so the prodigal son, he recognises this and recognises that he is a sinner and goes back to his father with the intention of confessing his sin to his father. And all Christians have experienced this. They've known what it is to come to their senses about their sin. If they haven't, they're not a Christian You can't just absorb Christianity by growing up in a Christian church. You must come to your senses at some point in your life if you are a Christian. You must come to that realisation that you have sinned against God, as this prodigal son does here. He recognises he's sinned against his father. And if you are a Christian, you must have recognised that you've sinned against God and that sin has brought pain into your life. And you then realise there's something that you must do about it. And that is turn from your sin, repent, and go to God. And then we see in this parable that there's even further hope. Not just that you come to your senses, but that God richly welcomes those who are repentant, those who have turned from their sins. And we see that in verses 20 through verse 24. The son gets up, it says in verse 20, and goes to his father. But while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This parable teaches us that God richly welcomes the repentant. Those who are sorry for their sins, God welcomes. We see here that the son is welcomed home with joy. The father runs to the son. Now, your dad might run around a fair bit, but... In that culture, particularly a wealthy landowner such as this father, they didn't run. People ran for them. They didn't do any running. Here the man breaks all protocol and goes to the son. He has compassion on him. He brings the best robe and a ring, sandals for his feet, and prepares a feast for this son. Even though this son has sinned against him so grievously, We can't imagine the pain that that father would have experienced to have his son say, I want half. I want my share of the estate. And then he went and blew it all. And yet the father has compassion to him. He runs to him and richly blesses him immediately. And this is how God behaves with his people, with Christians. He joyously welcomes you. If you are repentant of your sins, if you trust in him, then he has compassion on you. He runs to you. He comes to us. We see that in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, God himself, came to us and lived amongst us. As we'll celebrate next week with Christmas, we recognize the incarnation is an incredible truth that God himself came and dwelt on this earth. He comes to us. And he has compassion on us, and he richly blesses us. He gives us good things now. He will give us good things in the next life. He gives us food for our tables now, and he gives us a marvellous wedding feast of the Lamb in eternity. God richly blesses those who go to him in repentance and faith. And notice that this is all by God's grace. These actions of the Father are all by his grace. The Father doesn't say, okay, you're home, now you have to earn my favour again. You have to make up for all those transgressions that you have committed against me. That is not what happens in this text. And that is not what the Bible teaches about God and the way we come to him. We come to him by grace, which means it's not about works. It's about God's mercy if you are to be right with him. That's what the Bible teaches. False religions teach that you must work to earn God's favour. You must do specific good works, whatever divine being it is that they proclaim. To have God's blessing, you must give to the poor, go on a pilgrimage, be baptised, maybe pray five times a day, follow the eightfold path, Keep the sacraments, give 10% of your income, which is very nice for those who are uh, teaching you about the religion. They make that a requirement to get God's favour. You must tithe 
or even more. Some teach that you must fast to get God's blessing, to have him be favourable towards you. Some even teach that you must hurt yourself, inflict pain upon yourself, have others treat you badly, go through much pain and suffering, and then God will love you. Some teach you must read the whole Bible, you must memorise parts of scripture, must be a missionary, take God's word to those around the world. That's not what the Bible teaches, particularly in a passage like this. It's so clear. The son comes to the father. And what does the father do? He accepts him, no strings attached. And that's what God does. How can he do that, though? If we have sinned so grievously against him, how can he just be merciful and gracious and let our sin go unpunished? Wouldn't he be an unjust God then to allow the people that he has created to go out sin grievously and then wink at it when you return to him? Well, God is a just God. He's a gracious God, but he's also a just God. And there is a way that he can be just and merciful because another son has paid, another son of God has paid so that we as his children can come into his good graces despite our sin. See, when you come to God in repentance and faith, you come and you stand not on your own righteousness because, let's face it, all our righteous acts, the Bible says, are as filthy rags. We are sinners. What is it that we stand on then when we come back to God? It's upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His righteousness, his good work, then is what we stand on. His work at the cross pays for our sin. The punishment that we deserve, the wrath that this father should sow to the son here. When it comes to God, that wrath falls on Jesus instead of the other sons and daughters of the kingdom. And so we can go free. It's all about the work of Christ. It's not about his work and then some other works that we do. We don't stand upon grace and then some things that we do, the things that other religions teach us to do. Because as soon as you add one work, one good work, let's say baptism, for example, the Mormon church teaches you must be baptised. If you add just baptism to the work of Christ, you taint his work and say insufficient, even by a little bit. It was insufficient. That marvellous work of Christ at the cross, the Son of God himself given for our sins. You say insufficient. It's like when you drop one little drop of ink into a, a, a jar of water. The whole thing becomes cloudy instantly. Just one little drop and it clouds it all. It makes the water dirty. And that's what we do if we try to add to the work of Christ. And it's not what the Bible teaches we must do. We come to God in his grace, on Christ's work. So have you experienced this love of God, this welcoming back? Have you understood the shameful way that you have treated God in your sin, that you have rebelled against him, said, I wish you were dead, and then squandered the good things that he has given you for your own self? Have you recognised that you have done that? Have you then recognised the deceitfulness of sin and realised that sin takes you to the pigsty? Do you know what it is to wallow in the consequences 
of your sin. As a pig wallows in mud. If you've never thought about it, honestly, ask yourself this morning, consider, how is your sin treating you? The things that you do that you know are against God's word, how are they treating you? Are they bringing you happiness and joy? Or are you weary in your sin? Sin is a hard taskmaster. Sin promises much, but delivers little. Just consider the sin of materialism. We were at Bible study this week on Tuesday night, and it came up in our study, and we were talking about materialism and how it never satisfies this continual lust for the objects of this world. You save up, you buy a nice car. How long does it satisfy you for? Isn't it interesting? As soon as you drive it off the showroom floor, it drops in value immediately. And it is no longer as good as it once was. Isn't that wonderful to recognise that our sin of materialism with those renovations, then knowing that you are a son or daughter in the kingdom. Think of the joy this morning of the Lamella family as a son has been united with his parents. There is great joy, and that is partly why many of you are here this morning, is because of the joy of the unification of that family. But the joy for them is nothing compared to being reconciled to the Heavenly Father. Ultimately, we should rejoice in Angelo and Harla's love for Adrian this morning. Why? Because it reflects the gospel. They are a mini picture, just as here in Luke chapter 15 is a mini picture, a mini picture of the true gospel, the true Heavenly Father and the reunification of his children with him. Why do Angelo and Harla behave the way they did? Why do they behave the way they do today? They love, why? Because God first loved them. And the joy that we have today as members of this church with the reunification of a family is really joyous for us ultimately because we know we've been there. We've been that rebellious child and Heavenly Father because that has greater consequences than the reunification of their family. Far greater. It has eternal consequences that the Heavenly Father welcomes back into his family. People who were once lost but now are found, who were once dead but now are alive. And if you are a Christian, you can learn several things from this passage. Never fail first thing we should learn as a Christian, never fail to rejoice in God's grace to you. It doesn't matter what suffering, what pain you experience in this world. There is nothing as bad as being in the pigsty of sin now and for eternity. You have come so far. Never forget from where you came that you have been raised. You have been picked up from the pit by God, and so rejoice. Second thing, as a Christian, you can 
learn from this passage is the awfulness of sin and not to go back to wallowing in it. There's a passage in the Bible that says, it's quoted in the New Testament from the Old Testament. So uh, 2 Peter 2 verse 22, the Apostle Peter says, A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. And he's speaking about people who have rejected sin but have gone back to it. It's like a dog returning to its vomit, or a pig after he is washed, jumping right back into the mud. Now, as I said, I'm not a farmer, and I've never owned a dog. So this week, when I was thinking about this, I put into YouTube a dog eating its own vomit. Now, I don't advise that you should do that because of the things that I saw. But the Bible does not make mistakes. The Bible knows humanity and it also knows animals. And it is true. A dog can return to its vomit and eat it all back up. If you don't believe me, go on YouTube. But that is how a Christian behaves if, it, if the Christian rejects sin but then forgets how awful sin is and goes right back to it and eats it up again. We must remember the pigsty. We can't forget that. We can't go back to that way that we once had. We must continue to mortify sin, to rid ourselves of it. Animal, you're a child of God. Don't purge sin. And go back to it. Remember the sin that sin simply brings headaches, heartaches, stomach aches. How much of your stomach has been unsettled in the past because of your sin and the consequences of it? Your head has been pounding. Your heart has been beating fast because of your sin. Third thing you can learn as a Christian from this. When you do sin, flee to God again and beg for mercy. Do what this prodigal son does and flee to God and beg for his mercy. Have compassion on the repentant. So as a Christian and you find yourself caught up in sin again, ask for his mercy and know that you find Let's come before our God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the words of Christ here that portray so clearly in a way that we can understand your love for us, that no matter how grievous our sin is before you, that you welcome us if we simply turn to yourself. So, Lord, we pray that we would indeed, everyone in this room may see through the deceitfulness of sin, See the consequences of it. See that it bites us in the end, even if it promises pleasure in the short term. Lord, we pray that we would flee to you. We pray that if anyone is in this room and is depending upon something other than the righteousness of Christ, may they come to you this morning and bask in your grace. Pray for those who have been there, who have come to you and been welcomed by you and are now sons and daughters in your kingdom. Lord, we pray that we would never forget where we've come from. 
May we have joy in all circumstances because we know that we are your children, though we don't deserve to be. Lord, we pray that we may not go back to our sinful ways. Oh Lord, we pray that we would come to you and find mercy once again in your loving arms. Pray these things in Christ's name.